You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome again to another episode of the Revision Path Podcast. I'm Maurice Cherry. This week's episode is brought to you by our sponsors, MailChimp and Audible. More than 6 million people use MailChimp to design and send email marketing campaigns. It's fast and easy, and it's free to sign up. Join them today by heading over to MailChimp.com. You'll love it. Audible is the leading provider of premium audiobooks on the internet. With over 150,000 audiobooks in their library, you'll definitely find something that's right for you. This week, I'm alternating listening to Book Yourself Solid by Michael Port and Inside the Business of Graphic Design by Catherine Fisher. Head over to audibletrial.com forward slash revision path and get a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook. Now, we're in the middle of our fundraising drive for the month, and you can help us reach our goal of $200. Just join at the $5 a month level and get access to a weekly newsletter with behind-the-scenes information and a sneak preview of next week's episode. Or you can sponsor an upcoming episode for just $20. We've got a lot of great interviews coming up, and it's really the perfect chance for you to get your work and your business out in front of our dedicated audience. Just visit tugboatyards.com forward slash page forward slash revision path and pledge today. This week, I talked with Jeffrey Maynard, Dean of the Goshen Institute, Creative Director at Light Creative, and a tech entrepreneur in Accra, Ghana. Here we go. Okay, so tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Jeffrey Maynard. I'm from Ghana, and I'm a tech entrepreneur. I'm a software developer. I build web apps and websites. And right now, I'm working on a business education platform for entrepreneurs called Summer. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? So, with regards to that, what I do on when I'm not developing websites is I run a school. I founded a school called the Goshen Institute. Okay. And we teach young people um, inspectional reading, which is learning how to read a 300-page book in two hours. We teach web development, and we teach business with a concentration on on entrepreneurship. What I realized after a while is that I would have people come up to me and say, I want to learn this about marketing or branding or one of these other things. And I, would, I wouldn't be able to teach them because they would either have a nine to five and we couldn't meet afterwards or I'd recommend books for them and they wouldn't have time to read them or even after reading them, they would need explanations. And I mean, some of the things were really basic business topics. But what I also learned during the process was that learning is made up of two main things, which is principles and examples. So if you know the principles of any topic, you can come up with your own kind of results. And so I, I thought about it that way. So what about the fisherman in you know Tokyo or in Australia or in some parts of Africa who just wants to learn distribution? Does he have to go to a business school or buy five books on distribution to learn that? That would take too much time. And, and not all of the business knowledge available is geographically relevant. So I decided that I would actually build an app where anybody anywhere in the world with a smartphone would literally go through and learn business on their own. So there will be principles and then there will be loads of examples by the community on different parts of business that they are practicing in their own parts of the world. So that's that's really how it started. Nice. And how long has the Goshen Institute been going on now? It's 
it, it, we actually started this year, so we had our first batch in April. Okay. Yeah, and that's that's going really really well. My dream is for hundreds of millions of people to actually use the ideas for some kind of business, and even if they have a nine to five already, I really believe that a lot of people have ideas that they are not executing on just because they are too busy working somewhere else. Mm -hmm. But everybody has weekends and most people have evenings as well. And they can create something of their own. So I know that you also have have spent some time studying here in the States. How was that experience like? That was good. That was really good. About three years ago, I I wanted to do an MBA because I figured that you know, that was the easiest way to learn all the things I wanted to learn in business and so on. But the more research I did into it, I realized that the MBA wouldn't be, that wasn't the only way to learn business. And being a self-learner, I thought about it. And with all the pros and all the cons that I had read about and spoken to counselors and so on, it, it became apparent to me that it would be best if I learned the things that I needed to know. So... Every year for the last three or four years, I'll come to the States. More like I think the last three years, I'll come to the States and learn exactly what I wanted to learn. So I studied at NYU for a semester. I learned marketing and branding. Then I I went back last year to another program in New York where I put a startup institute where I learned front-end web development and user experience design. And so it has been largely my experience of studying in in the States, and it's been good, but it's also showed me that regardless of where you study, the buck stops and starts with the learner himself. It's not enough to just be in a class in any school. If all you do is be there and not know how to apply the knowledge you've gotten or the information you've gotten, you might as well not have even attended. Nobody will be able to tell that you have been, you've been there. Right. So, yeah. Now, how would you describe, I guess, the current creative scene in Ghana? Because I know that you also have a, a branding company that's called Light Creative. Yes. So, Light, Light Creative was actually born out of helping startups. I, I worked actually did an internship with a brand consultancy that was helping a lot of big name you know, brands, the equivalent of probably what the Fortune 500 would be in Ghana, mm-hmm. and. What I realized the more we did consulting was that just because these people were running businesses with you know hundreds of millions of dollars coming in, it didn't mean anything. It didn't mean that they knew more business than the next guy. And as a matter of fact, in many of the cases, they actually didn't know a lot of things about business. I mean, they wouldn't need us brand consultants if they knew everything, right? But a lot of the things that we're also teaching them, there were things that were in books. So technically, for the price of a $30 book, we're charging them hundreds of thousands of dollars to fix a problem that any of them could have read and implemented. And but um, it, so it made me think more about how to serve people who couldn't access this kind of funds to pay a big big name brand consultant like we were. So I built, I started Light Creative. The way I actually started Light Creative was by going to pitch while I was doing my internship, going to pitch a restaurant in town and told her that. I mean, basically, I didn't have a call card. I didn't have a company name, nothing. I just had an idea of how I could help her business. And by God's grace, she, she was sold on it. And that's how we started. As a year later, I still didn't even have a call card or even a website. But because there is such 
a vacuum when it comes to how like people who have these creative talents and know how to help you make money with them mm-hmm. that we were able to stand out so with regards to your question I, I said that to say this that many people here are in the creative arts and in creative entrepreneurship but more and more people are coming to see that it's not enough to be a creative uh-huh. you have to find a way of making money from this skill so so that's what I think the climate is right now that many people are learning these skills but also learning how to make money from these skills right so they're learning I guess the best way to to uh, mm-hmm. monetize yes the, I was actually talking to my sorry I was actually talking to my brother today and he used to, he used to be into photography and, and film and he, he's now a web developer as well and he was telling me how it used to frustrate him how and a 17-year-old kid could get a $2,000 camera and basically customers wouldn't be able to tell the difference in pictures because the editing seemed just like everybody else's. Right. So when it comes to creativity, it's so subjective that what one person's may look good to me, but to you, it may look you know, really amateurish. The same thing with packaging and so many other things. So it's it's, it's actually a, a pretty tricky field, but that's the thing. If if you you're good at it and you are able to like justify your your prices, mm-hmm. you, you you're good. Well, I guess sort of going back to what your brother was saying, though, it might also be a good idea to not really fall in love with your tools too much, because like you said, the the two thousand dollar camera can take the photo just as well as maybe like an iPhone camera or something. Mm-hmm. It's all about yeah. sort of the creativity that you put into the end product. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's something I call, well, I think sometimes I say it's a, it's a bias for purists. And what I mean by that is when you're in an industry, you kind of think financially, socially, mentally, you know, everything like the other people in the industry do. So I, I remember in my, when, when I started consulting with Life Creative, I, I would talk to accountants and even how much money they wanted to make in a year was determined by what they thought the industry standard was. So you, I'll talk to, let's say, a lawyer, for example, and then she would tell me, well, in my field, you know, if you've, if you've only you know, been out of school for the last three years and so on and so forth, you could only cross, let's say, 3000 to $8,000 a month. And that's even depending on how good the firm you are with and what kind of clients you're bringing in and so on. But then I'll talk to somebody else in design and they would have another range, sometimes lower, sometimes higher, depending on what they thought their industry standard was. And in the same way, it would come with their craft as well, like what you were saying, that um, as, because as designers, I would talk to other designers and they would critique work. And as they were critiquing work, they would talk about the logo, they would talk about the colors and all of those things. But then, because I, I came from a business background, you know, and I was doing like w- my own business and so on, I was also looking at it from the consumer standpoint. Many times, 90% of what like, we creatives would care about, the consumer didn't even see. You know, like, the consumer doesn't even see the fonts. What do you mean by fonts? They've right. written the name of the company, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you mean by fonts? They, like, the consumer doesn't even care. Like, sans serifs. That doesn't, that doesn't what, per se, influences his decision at the time, uh-huh. you know? 
So it really that is one thing I'm grateful for, like creative for that like, it helped me look at things from two different perspectives. Because when you build a website or you do something creative or you build a logo, something that can't be quantified according to checking some boxes, you you become very very attached. You think that I my creativity is worth more than the client wants to pay or the client is being unreasonable. But from the client's perspective. He's also thinking about how is this thing going to make me money? Yeah. You know? So I think a creative who understands that you have to find a way of communicating as much value as you can to the client. And I mean, whatever work I do, I have to ask myself that how can I justify to the client that this thing I'm doing for you is going to make you at least, let's say, $50,000? Mm-hmm. So do you think it's unreasonable for me to ask for a tenth of that amount of money? But what if you don't think like that in terms of value? then, you know, a client can tell you anything that he wants. And because now I've been on both sides of the table, I've learned to appreciate both sides and not be stoic about, you know, it's, it's creativity and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's good because I, I feel like at least here in the States, the, the convention is starting to turn away from being a, a unicorn, which is to say that you're only good at one particular thing like there's always this discussion about should designers learn how to coach should coders learn how to design that sort of thing mm-hmm. but being able to have that multifaceted approach where you can see the project from not just your end as the creative but you can see it from the mm-hmm. client's end you know as hiring a vendor that really helps out just in terms of how well you can communicate the goals that the client wants to have true true now, one of your claim to fame is that you created one of Africa's first iPhone apps. What was that app? It was called the uh, MIG Shuffle. It was a video game on the iPhone. It was, it was more of a puzzle puzzle app, picture puzzle app. And where did that idea come from to do that? That was about eight years ago. I, I was with a couple of friends, and we had to start a, an artisan management company. And the idea stemmed out of seeing so many African artisans who made everything from candles to jeans and T-shirts and so on, and nobody really knew about them. And some of them had been doing this for 14 years. And it was, for us, it was a no-brainer that if more people knew about these things, they would patronize, you know, made in Ghana products. So we set out to start managing them. But as we as we went on, I found out how much I loved the creative process and coming up with designs for T-shirts and collections and so on. And so I I contracted some designers and we started making T-shirts of our own for our own private label. And the more we did that, we started exporting some of the T's to HBCUs in the States, like Morgan State. So we exported some of them to... Lafayette, because we had friends who had attended some of those colleges or were in those colleges at the time. Okay. And when all of that was happening, for some reason, I was talking to a friend, and he, he worked at Microsoft at the time. I went to high school with him. And this was, I think, my second year of college. And no, way, it was my second year. I think it was my third year of college. And we thought about it that way. Why don't we build an iPhone app? But we can put the pictures of the T's on the, in the app and... When you shuffle in record time, you could probably win a T. And the funny thing is, at that time, in 2009, I think there were under 20 million iPhone apps sold by that time. And I didn't even own an iPhone, to tell you the truth. And 
and my two other designers also didn't have iPhones either. Mm. The only person who had an iPhone was the developer who worked at Microsoft. And so, and I, I don't, I'm not even sure if we were using Skype at the time or if, if even Skype was around. It probably was, but we weren't using Skype at the time. So the communication was very, very weird. But for some reason, we did it. We, we built an iPhone app, and we didn't just build it for just ourselves. We actually had it launched on, on the App Store. And it was, it was great to see something that you built being put out there and having hundreds of people download. It was really special. Now, now I look back and think that we could have easily become the next you know, Zynga or something if we had put our minds to it. Mm-hmm. But I guess it was, it was for fun, and we didn't know that tech was going to crazy people like Mark Zuckerberg and so on a few years later. And from there, that's I mean, sort of... was already around at the time, but I just, I think we just didn't know the future of tech. Well, I mean, from there, that sort of sparked the idea for, I'm guessing that sparked the idea for Light Creative and then eventually for Goshen Institute, so it was good that you kind of started off that way. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm actually very, very grateful for those times. Who are some of your mentors? Who are some of the people that you look up to? I would say... Those who are alive, I would say David Oedipo, he, he runs a church and two um, colleges in in um, Nigeria. And um, I would say, I think Elon Musk is, is pretty cool to me in terms of how much he's done in a short period of time. But David Oedipo, Kenneth Copeland, Elon Musk, and I mean, with people who are dead, John D. Rockefeller is someone that I... I respect a lot in terms of all that he achieved. I don't even know if like anybody has superseded the things that he did when he was alive, especially at the ages at which he, he did them. Mm-hmm. And and everybody I everybody I really respect is an avid reader or was an avid reader, and they're all big givers. I'm I know that when it comes to prosperity and increase and all of those things, givers never lack. And it's, it's a tried and true principle, even from the Bible. But it's something that a lot of people don't understand, so a lot of people don't practice. But consistently, with all the reading that I've done from people like, you know, Rockefeller and J.P. Morgan and Ben Franklin and all of these people, it's a common thread that they are, they are hard workers, they are givers, and they, they are people who, who read a lot. I mean, read, read more than the ordinary. And you write yes, a lot, too, I'm guessing, right? Because you do a lot yeah, of reading. Yeah, yeah I, I, do, I do a lot of reading. I, I try to do at least a book a day. My standard goal is four four books a month, but I try to do a, a book a day. If I if I don't do a book a day, at least I try to do like half a book a day. And then um, I, I read like three to five chapters of the Bible daily. And I mean, because I, I teach people how to read, you know, 300 pages in two hours, I, it's best that I also have proof of. Right. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Of my, of, of my of my crafts, and I sincerely believe that the reason why many people are not where they want to be in life, whether socially or financially, or materially or spiritually, is because they don't know enough. You know, it's you can you can get sixty percent in an exam, mm-hmm. but if the pass mark is ninety percent, then it doesn't mean anything. Just just because you've known you've done all you know to do, doesn't mean you've done all that there is to do. There's always there's always something that you don't know, and what I've seen in my reading is that those who are at the top of you know their leaderboards of success and whatever they are doing, 
it's usually because they know more than others and they were willing to actually do something with what they know. And that for me, every single day, is a reminder for me that I have to keep learning and learning and learning. And it just makes you different from everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What books are you reading right now? I'm actually reading John D. Rockefeller's Titan right now. And another book, I'm usually reading a business book and a Christian book at the same time. Okay. So I'm reading John D. Rockefeller's Titan right now. That's the story about his life by Ron Chernow. And also a book called How to Be Led by the Spirit of God by Kenneth Hagin, who is actually probably my favorite author of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I'm always reading two books, one for the business side and one for the spiritual side at any given time. Now, would you say that your faith plays a big role in the work that you do? Like, does that help sort of it does. fuel you it does. inspire you? Absolutely. It does. Absolutely. I believe the Bible is the manual for daily living. There is, and the thing is, the more you read, right, mm-hmm. if, especially if you read the Bible alongside, you realize that it's literally people who have paraphrased stuff that's in the Bible, and then... They are, they've used them in their lives or they have written them in their books. So I see something in a book that talks about how this person, you know, was very, very bold or was this or that. And then I look in the Bible and then it's there that the Bible says that a righteous as bold as a lion and so on and so forth. So it, it seems to me like, why would I bother myself to focus on the extractions per se, when I, the extracts, when I can focus on, you know, the, the source of all the, the, the knowledge, you know, and, and God has been exceptionally good to me as well. I, I mean, there's, I don't know how you can... You, you can't fake faith. That's the thing about faith. You can't fake it. If you say you're a man of faith or you're you know, someone who is in faith, you have to have proof. Mm-hmm. not something that I, I can say that, well, I have faith in God. And then, you're okay, then what's, what's the proof? And I can't tell you about a time where I prayed about this and it came up. Or I can't tell you about a time where I prayed for someone and the person received healing. Or I can't tell you about a time where there was something with regards to business and nobody knew what to do. But then I was able to figure it out. Like, that's what I love about about um, Christianity and the Bible, that there is always proof that can be shown. And I mean, I, I, there are a lot of believers who don't have proof mm-hmm. of what they, what they study. And it saddens me because it's the same way with everything in life. There are many people who go to school, but you can't tell that this person has ever studied economics in their life, you know, or math or whatever it is. So it, it all comes down to learning and doing. Those who learn intentionally and do intentionally, they always stand out, no matter the realm of life we are talking about. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Now, I, I know here in the States, it's there seems to be this kind of a... Uh... I don't know if I want to call it a correlation, but certainly there's a relationship between design and religion. You know, when you just think about it didactically, there's that that correlation when you think about, like, stained glass windows and old parchment yeah. and things like that. But there are a lot of modern designers and things that also sort of take it upon themselves to communicate that they are a follower of Christ or whatever their particular religion is. And it seems to have... Uh, I'm not really sure what the effect is. Like, I think some people think, oh, that's great because I want to work 
with a Christian developer or a Christian designer, and then others are like, "Oh, why are you, you know, proselytizing? Why are you putting your mm-hmm. your religion out there yeah. in front of me?" Have you found that to be a negative in any sort of way from the work that you do? It's also interesting that you mentioned this. I remember a year ago, probably around this time, uh-huh. there's this um, illustrator that I wanted to work with, and it was with regards to creating a. I think it was a it was an animated video of some biblical story. I'm sure it was David and Goliath or something. Uh-huh. And he wouldn't do it because he was concerned that people would think he was bringing religion into his work. And I actually found that very funny. But that's the thing. I I mean, I'm one of those who doesn't see believe in God and Christianity as a religion. Uh-huh. So I'm not tied to any man-made rules of of knowing God. I, I believe the Bible is the word of God. So having a relationship with God personally and, I mean, when you have proof to that, like I said, it, it makes things different. Like, I don't get sick, for example. I haven't gotten sick since 2009 mm-hmm. because I know what the Bible says about healing, right? Unfortunately, many people who are also believers have read those same scriptures but don't believe them like I do. So they don't have the proof. So when you understand it's in the context that I'm talking about, then it stops being religion. So now I never have to worry about, is this person going to think that I'm trying to be too religious or this or that? Uh-huh. And, and tell you the truth, a lot of, some people care about what other people will think about them, that they don't voice out what they believe, that when you do, it makes you seem weird. But it also makes people respect you. Because mm-hmm. so few people would actually stand up for what they believe in, regardless of what it is, whether it's political or social or, like, even even family life. Many people in their families won't say something that they believe should be changed. So the person who does is usually, and especially when the person is giving valuable advice or valuable instruction, people just respect you that, you know what, whenever I have a problem or something that I want to talk about, I, I think this is the guy to speak about. And the basic thing about Christianity for me as a business person is love. Mm-hmm. Loving your workers, loving your employees, loving you know the, the world around you. When that is in place, you, you never even have to think about religion. Yeah, I feel like, you know, if you're, if you're serious about your faith, whatever your, your faith is, whether it's, it's Christianity, you know, Hindu, Muslim, what have you, you know, it's probably just, it's one of the most important things in your life. So it permeates everything that you do. So I, I think, and, and maybe it's just a U.S.-based perception because Christianity sometimes gets a bad rap in the U.S. because of a few fundamentalist ideas and things like that. But like you said, if you put it out there, I mean, I think that's that's important that you put it out there and let people know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. I mean, if, if it's something you believe in and it's a part of you and it's and like that's who you are, wouldn't you be a hypocrite and not in trying to be different things when you are in different settings, right? Yeah, I, I think I think that's hypo- hypocrisy, especially if I mean, like God loves us, and if you love Him, if you love Him back, there's nothing to be embarrassed about, right? I find it funny how um, some people would easily quote Steve Jobs, but they would be too embarrassed to quote you know something else that they believe in, mm-hmm. because you know when you're quoting a business person, it's Globally accepted. Oh, we all know that Steve Jobs or Napoleon said this, but when it comes to talking about Jesus Christ, no, no, no. They, 
you know, they, they don't want to offend anyone. I mean, how do you offend someone when you're trying to love the person? Right. You know? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure how. Yeah. <laughs> so what are the next steps of growth for, for you and for your businesses? So with regards to summer, which is what we are focusing all of our energy on now, or most of our energy really, on now is we are collating a lot of content with regards to business knowledge to make it as simple and as accessible as possible. So right now I'm hiring developers, I'm doing more research on tech, I'm, I'm actually even going to go to a an, an incubator next month in, in the States. And I really see tech taking over the world in many ways. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of young people that I see now who, you know, have, are going through this the same methods that we all went through, the same paths that we all went through, where you you go to college, you study something that you're not particularly interested in, but, you know, you want to, I mean, that's what you have to study. You do that to get out of college. Everybody who studied the same course as you did are going to work in this particular industry. So you go work there as well. And 10 years down the line, you're still there. You're, you're still changing jobs and so on. And you don't really know what you want in life. I believe that those things are going to change drastically as the, as the world changes. And what I know is that technology is an easy way to spread information. So the more um, young people come to understand that you can do what you want to do if, if that's what you love doing, and if, especially if it's tech, it's easy enough to learn. It's easy enough to learn how to code, how to do HTML, CSS, Ruby, I mean that when we people like us have examples of, you know, billion dollar companies coming out of Africa, started by young people, the proof would help other people to look back on their lives and think, why am I, you know, doing something that I don't love doing? Mm-hmm. And I mean, for many people, unfortunately, they don't even know what they want to do in life. You know, I with the Goshen Institute, there's a there's a class we have about goal setting, and we don't we don't just look at goal setting, we look at purpose. Because we, we teach that if you want to find out what you're supposed to be doing in life, you can either have like a heavenly vision or direction from God, or you, you, you may have a talent or something or a skill that you're really good at. Or the third thing is something, something that you're passionate about, the problem that you want to fix or something on your heart that you absolutely want to solve. Any of these three things can become your career for life. You know, any of these three ways can show you what's, you should be in your life. But unfortunately, there are people who are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and even 50s who really don't know what they should be doing in life. But it's because nobody really sat them down to teach them or show them. And so it's become a never-ending cycle. But with regards to Africa, I see that we've missed a lot of innovation. And Africa has played catch-up for a lot of years, but when it comes to tech, it levels the playing field. The same programming languages being learned in America, the same programming languages being learned in China and in Asia, all across Asia and everywhere. Like It's literally the same thing. The syntax is the same. So it levels the playing, um, playing field for us Africans and technically anybody in the world. So... I'm I'm looking at Sama, for example, educating over 300 million entrepreneurs in the next 10 years, and going from there to build about 10 other 
Goshen Institute across Africa and then other parts of the world as well, where we can train young people to think about what they want to be in life, to, to see how easy it is to start a business and also to provide value for the world because it's not enough to be rich. I mean, it's easy to have money, but having impact is, way, is worth way more. So these things are things that as the business grows, I believe it will give us an opportunity to tell the world about because people want to see results. They wouldn't listen to a 28-year-old from Africa if there's no proof of you know, my success. Mm-hmm. What are things that designers and developers can do to sort of help out the tech scene in, and I'm saying in Africa that's that's a wide <laughs> that's a <laughs> wide berth of, of countries and, and cities and things but are there things that designers and developers here in the states can do to sort of help out tech efforts in particular parts of Africa like say in Ghana for example with what you're doing yes I believe it would be great if there were there were easier ways of finding out how more successful, more advanced designers and developers uh, are doing their work or how they, they became successful. If, if I wanted to build the next Tesla, it would be really great to know exactly how Elon Musk and his team built the company, where they source their materials from, the, the things they did wrong so that we don't emulate those things. And that, I think, is that knowledge sharing would go a long way because I, I'm I've met young people who have started businesses here, and when it came to distributing equity, for example, they didn't really have any good references. And I mean, it's nobody's fault that they didn't have good re- references because, I mean, we are responsible for looking for our own information. But I think if there was a way, if there were easier ways for that, that kind of information, those personal, practical examples of how these things have been done, Mm-hmm. It would be great. I mean, as a creative, sometimes I still meet people who ask about how much should I charge for this logo? How much should I charge for this website? How much should I charge for this creative work, copywriting that I've done? Right. And I find that people in America ask those same questions as well. Yeah, they do. But they do a yeah, lot. Yeah, you know, they ask the, exactly the same questions. So it's really just it's really a knowledge market. If, if the knowledge was more democratized and uh, more available, if, if if that's the right word, it, it would it would go a long way to help those who haven't been set in environments. If you weren't doing what you're doing now with with Light Creative and with with Goshen Institute, what would you what would you be doing? I feel like you would probably still be doing some kind of education of some sort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I definitely be teaching. You know, at some college or counseling, I mean, I'll, probably, I'll probably be like a guidance counselor from school somewhere, or start a counseling practice for young people who are who are about to go into college, where they they come into, you know, my counseling program for a month, and we we help you find out what your purpose is, we help you find out, you know, at least things that you like, so that when you when you get into college, even if you are studying, you know, history or you know, economics or math or whatever you're studying, you you could probably still explore your love for flowers or botany or whatever it is that you like. So that college is a more fulfilling experience than just going to pay money and going through the so-called college experience. All right. So just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our listeners find you online? So on, on Twitter, Jeffrey Menu, um, that's J-E-F-F-R-U-I-M-A-N-U. 
And on Tumblr, I have a personal blog and a business blog. The personal blog is my name, G-F-F-R-U-I-M-A-N-U.tumblr.com. Tumblr.com. And then the business blog is freshwordsinspired.tumblr.com. So that's, and, and on, on Instagram as well, it's Jeffrey Jesus Day on Instagram. So it's basically my name in most places. Okay. Jeffrey Maynu, again, thanks so much for, for taking time out of your day for, for talking with us just about the work that you're doing, about the, the startup scene in Ghana, and really also just sharing a lot of information about your faith and how that empowers the work that you do. Uh, thank you so much. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Jeffrey Maynou and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to check out our sponsors, MailChimp and Audible. MailChimp's easy-to-use platform lets you send beautiful and functional email campaigns to your customers, your friends, whoever. Just sign up at MailChimp.com today and get a free account. Speaking of free accounts, head on over to audibletrial.com forward slash revision path and sign up for your free audiobook and 30-day free trial. Send us a tweet and let us know which book you're listening to through Audible. We'd really love to hear about it. Revision Path is a 318 media project. If you like what we're providing with the podcast and the website, head on over to tugboatyards.com forward slash page forward slash revision path and show your support. We're still in the middle of our fundraising drive and we want to raise $200 this month. And with your help, we can definitely make that happen. Sign up for as little as $5 per month for special behind the scenes access, sponsor an upcoming episode for just $20, or leave us a tip in our tip jar. Every little bit helps and it helps us with editing audio and providing you with more original content. Thanks again so much for listening and we'll see you next time.